Brian Gallagher is the president and CEO of United Way Worldwide, the world's largest privately funded nonprofit organization. Founded in 1934, United Way Worldwide is the leadership and support network for 2.8 million volunteers, 9.8 million donors, and nearly 1,800 community-based United Ways that advocate for health, education, and financial stability on a local level. The organization has adapted through great recessions, great depressions, two world wars, and countless political, technological, and social upheavals to maintain the wide-reaching impact it has today. But that job has been anything but easy. Brian joined the Ivy Podcast to discuss the successes and struggles he's encountered as the long-standing CEO of United Way Worldwide, including how they've changed their model to engage the next generation of donors and the nonprofit's work to create social impact that strengthens communities and brings together stakeholders to solve collective social problems. We have something we call LINK, which is a millennial engagement strategy across the U.S., but now increasingly outside the U.S. that just gives young people an opportunity to, the way I think about it is, get on the United Way platform and both digitally and in person and deal with some of these issues and bring your colleagues, bring your friends, engage with community leaders, engage with different generations, try to solve the problems. Please enjoy our conversation with Brian Gallagher. If you can tell us about yourself and how you got started with United Way. Um, sure. I, um, I was a social work major at Ball State in Muncie, Indiana. And um, I, you know, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, I was the first one in my family to go to college. I um, just, I saw my friends going to college, so I went. Um, I realized I didn't want to do direct service. I had volunteered doing counseling and, and so forth. And it was, but I, what I liked about social work was the community organizing piece. So when, when I uh, got the opportunity to do my senior practicum in the community, I was flipping through the book that had the opportunities and saw United Way. I had never heard of it, read it, liked the description, said, that's what I want to do. And so for nine weeks, I, I worked at the local United Way in Muncie, Indiana and heard about a national management training program, applied for it and got in. I was, funny story about it, I was the first alternate of 10. So I was number 11. And uh, I got into United Way because a, a young man from Detroit didn't want to move to Winston-Salem, North Carolina, which was the assignment. He turned it down. They called me and said, you want to go to Winston-Salem? I said, yeah. Packed up my, my 73 Nova, little U-Haul, and went to North Carolina. How was the United Way started in the very, very beginning? You know, it sounds like a bad joke. Um, it was literally a priest, a minister. Um, I'm not sure it was a rabbi, <laughs> but um, it was religious leaders and a community volunteer, a woman in Denver, who um, came together dealing with um, the migration of people into the city. And United Way is a product. Of, most of the old nonprofits in the United States are products of industrialization. So one of the things that happens in economic um, uh, change, transformation, is it causes social disruption. So people were moving from rural areas in the United States into big cities for jobs. And um, there was no social welfare system. There were no nonprofits. There was no really you know, government safety net. And so it was a group of people that got together to, to start talking about how we're going to deal with these housing issues and these public health issues and, and so forth. And they created a planning association 
which was the idea of let's do this together as a community. And that was the first United Way in 1887. And then it spread across the country. Um, the, the modern United Way is really um, an offspring of the war chest of World War I, which was um, citizen relief, citizen response efforts to the war effort. How do we take care of people at home and, and so forth? And they were called war chests. We flipped them into community chests. And, but it was economic change that caused social disruption and a bunch of community citizens coming together to say, we got to do this together. That's how we started. Okay. You mentioned community. So how is United Way a community-based model right now? Yeah, it's really interesting. So we're, we're community-based in that there are, we are, from a business perspective, we're best understood as a franchise model. So there are, there are 1,800 local United Ways in 41 countries. Each one of them is a local nonprofit incorporated in that community. Uh, they're run by local volunteers. We license them to be a United Way. Um, and so historically, and even today, we represent geographic communities. So San Francisco is different than Mobile, Alabama, is different than, is different than London, is, is different than Shanghai. And but they're all United Ways and they're all run by local volunteers that respond to the needs in those communities. And can you tell us about that a partnership model that you have? You bring together various sectors in each of those communities. So how do you go about setting the agenda for that community and bringing all the stakeholders together? Yeah, so, so if you think about it, um, think of the community that anybody lives in. There are, there are certain issues that you can only deal with together. So it might be public education or homelessness or income inequality. Um, and so there's no, who do you delegate that to? Not even government's big enough to deal with any of those issues alone. So what we do is we bring together uh, government leaders, business leaders, organized labor, nonprofit, uh, wealthy people, poor people, people who live in the city, people who live in the suburbs, and create an agenda. So it's easy to say that uh, we want to work on public education. It's hard to um, decide how. And so what we do is we work in a, what we call a collective impact model that begins with creating a common agenda. And you do that by engaging people in the community. And then you, then you create strategies. Then you get clarity around, okay, who's going to do what? Uh, what is government going to do? What will nonprofits do? What is the role of business? Um, increasingly, uh, because of digital technology and some other, some other changes, individuals don't necessarily need institutions to get involved. So how do we get individuals involved in identifying problems and so forth? But we create a collective agenda by, uh, by pulling all those different stakeholders together to work on issues that can only be addressed together. But then we do it from a, a pretty straight, straight ahead business approach. Terrific. Can you give us some examples of where you've seen this model work best? Yeah. So in the, you know, I'll, I'll give you two. Um, before I became the, the CEO of United Way U.S., which was before Worldwide, I was running the United Way in Columbus, Ohio. And this, the economy was growing um, quickly. And yet we were seeing uh, the number of people going into homeless shelters increasing. And we were watching families going into shelters. And um, it was really when we first became 
cognizant of the fact that you could work full time and still live in poverty. Um, the jobs that were being created were were service level jobs, lower pay. Um, so families are working, you know, people are working full time and, and living in shelters. And so um, what we decided to do was not build any more shelters, um, which was the conversation in the community. Instead, we decided to to focus on permanent, safe, affordable housing and started working with Ohio State, the city, local businesses like Nationwide Insurance and The Limited. And we created a, a service supportive housing initiative. And by the time we were done, we had collectively uh, first first we dealt with the chronically homeless folks who were consuming most of the shelter capacity. And instead of sending folks into a shelter, we got them an apartment and then you provided the support services, transportation, daycare, mental health counseling around that. And we reduced the number of people in shelters. And then we then we brought online with private sector investment and public sector support over a thousand units of affordable housing in the community. And we stopped the tide of um, of uh, families going into shelter. The, the other the more recent example is in the U.S. where we are at the we're right now experiencing the highest high school graduation rate in the country in 30 years. Um, and that's not, you know, Arnie Duncan and the Obama administration were very focused on it. Arnie Duncan was the secretary of education, but so is business. So were we, so were other organizations. And we set goals together to try to increase high school graduation across the U.S. And it's now in, in 86, 87 percent. Uh, that we did that together as as a country and as communities. That those are the two most stark examples I can think of. Goal setting is so important. How are you setting those goals, and what are the most important goals that you're seeing right now? Yeah, you know, it's a, it's an interesting question because you 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 can get a group of people who work on early childhood education. You know, the youngest children and. Uh, I've seen the biggest arguments and debates between people arguing about, so for a one-year-old, is it more important that we work on his or her vocabulary, or is it that we work on socialization skills? And so here's my point about goal setting. Uh, don't go crazy about it. Um, uh, you need metrics, you need goals, but you need flexibility. So the, the goals need to be need to be at the highest level. So, for instance, you know, we should we should aspire that all young children show up to school ready to learn. What's it going to. So let's not argue about whether vocabulary rate or socialization. You need both. And and what I find in social impact goal setting is we try to mirror too often business goal setting, sales goals and profit and so forth. It doesn't work that way. Uh, so you need aspirational goals and then you need strategies that have real metrics to them. You know, are we actually seeing uh, vocabulary rates increasing? Are we actually seeing, you know, socialization as tested by, you know, by uh, child psychologists and so forth? You can, you can measure all that stuff. But the, the important part about setting goals in the social sector is do it at a high, a high enough level that it matters. Um, that's why we set goals around high school graduation um, if you start setting them around like a sub goal, then the politics and I don't mean small p politics, then, you know, bring it down to a lower common denominator. So 
that's what I've learned about goal setting. Make them, make them aspirational, hold yourself accountable to them because it then drives collective um, accountability. No one's going to achieve greater high school graduation rates alone. Great. For this next gen, accountability, transparency, and impact, those things are very, very important to them. Have you shifted your model in some ways over the years to think about this next gen and, and really engaging them? Yeah, you know, it's the, the biggest, um, it's, uh, you know, thinking about the next generation of leaders um, in the U.S. and around the world is, in, you know, there are, there are obviously certain traits and characteristics that are pretty common across an entire generation. Um, but there are lots of differences as well. The thing that we're learning is just like the baby boomers um, define kind of consumer behavior and values in some ways because the generation was so big, the millennials are going to do the same thing, but they're not monolithic. And so accountability means different things to different people. And so um, we are we have been and maintain our focus on financial accountability, governance, um, uh, you know, brand responsibility and, and so forth, uh, financial management. But what's shifting is, and you mentioned it, accountability around transparency of operation. You know, can I look inside your organization and see what I want to see? And so increasingly the way we do business is pretty, uh, pretty open book. So, you know, you want to know anything about our operation, our projects, our, our governance, our finance, our compensation, go to our website. It's all there. Uh, so the other thing that we've learned about accountability with this generation is don't just tell me about it. Give me an opportunity to be involved with it. And if uh, and let me get friends and colleagues to be involved with it as well. So the big shift for us is not just asking somebody to give us their money or their time, and then we'll go do something with it, and then we'll tell you how it worked out, but instead creating opportunities for folks to work together um, on, on some of these big issues we've been talking about. So we, we have something we call LINK, which is a millennial engagement strategy across, across the U.S., but now increasingly outside the U.S., that just gives young people an opportunity to, the way I think about it is, get on the United Way platform and both digitally and and, uh, and in person and deal with some of these issues and bring your colleagues, bring your friends, engage with community leaders, engage with different generations, try to solve the problems. Great. You have been in a leadership position at United Way like since forever. 2002. Yeah. Correct? Yeah. And you've seen some changes there uh, due to some challenges. Yep. Could you talk about those challenges and how that helped you reshape the organization? Yeah, the, um, first of all, the, the environmental challenges or, you know, I, I don't even look at them as challenges as much as just environmental shifts. Um, you know, in people's lives, there are challenges, but challenges are, are created by something else. So the big shifts in the world are globalization of the economy, um, which means that the jobs that get created and how you make money in the U.S. Is, has changed. The migration of people. There are more people living outside their country of birth than any time in the history of the world today. And they're not moving because of conflict. They're moving for economic opportunities. 
Um, the third is demographic shifts. So in the U.S., where the workforce is getting younger, more multiracial, different values. And the fourth one is digital technology. Um, digital technology, there's always been technology advances. The thing about digital technology is it blows apart business models. So there is no Netflix without digital technology. The, Jeff Bezos doesn't own the Washington Post uh, if he's not after content in a digital world. Um, so it blows apart business models. So the challenges are um, when I got when I got into the U.S. role in '02, we were a bunch of independent local United Ways that you could pretty much operate as Phoenix or L.A. or Chicago and and be okay. But now you couldn't because everybody got to look into your world no matter where they lived. And so we had to tighten up our operation. We had to uh, go through membership requirement changes, government governance changes. In other words, what it meant to be a United Way was way more stringent than it was before 2002. We then had to get real clarity on why do we exist? Um, the world's changing fast. Are we a fundraising organization? We raise a lot of money. Or are we an impact organization, a social impact organization? We were pretty divided. So we went through a process to get clarity. We decided we we're in the impact business. That meant that everything we do had to be about improving people's lives. So everything we've done is to drive toward that mission, that purpose. And money and brand reputation and so forth are driven by that. That's been a big shift for us. Thirdly, we got focused on talent. So um, how do we start attracting and keeping great people? I came into United Way in a management training program. First thing I did, literally first thing I did in 02 was recreate it and start recruiting young people off of college campuses around the world, putting them into United Way positions, and now we're watching them come through our, our talent pipe. Um, we created United Way worldwide. Um, uh, you know, we had we had affiliates all over the world, but we weren't connected. We merged our U.S. operation with our international operation, and we now have active affiliates in 41 countries, and we're growing faster outside the U.S. than we are inside the U.S., and individuals outside the U.S. are connecting into the U.S. So I'll give you a quick example. One of our most successful affiliates outside the U.S. is Korea. South Korea and the largest Korean American population in the U.S. is in L.A. And we've we facilitated an agreement between Seoul and Los Angeles to create a um, what we call one heart, two loves. You want to you're a Korean American in L.A. You want to help your community in Los Angeles and in Seoul. You can do it one time through United Way because of that agreement. Those are the changes we've gone through. United Way has historically been very important in fundraising in the workplace. Yeah. Can you tell us how that model existed and how it's changing today? Yeah, it's um, so we're the we're the largest uh, private sector nonprofit in the country. Uh, in the U.S., we raise just under four billion dollars a year. The majority of that comes through campaigns in the workplace. And the reason that it's been really successful is hopefully because we're doing really good impact work in the community, but because we with companies pioneered the ability to take a little bit out of your paycheck every two weeks to give to United Way and that it and it benefited an entire community of services and, and nonprofits. And it's been very successful. Uh, and it's still very successful. We still conduct about 125,000 of those campaigns across the U.S. 
What's changing is the relationship between employees and their employer. Uh, folks don't stay with one company like their their parents did. Um, they don't, you know, the there's the company used to expect leadership from uh, different kind of leadership from their employees. Like we want you to give to United Way. We want you to get involved in political action stuff. You know, this generation is this generation's interesting. They want their employer to be responsible. They just don't want their employer to tell them what to do. And so include that includes United Way. Um, so increasingly what that means for us is creating opportunities uh, and we're right now building a, uh, a, an employee engagement digital platform inside companies that allow employees to uh, find out um, what issues are, are most important in their community. How do I volunteer for it? If I wanted to contact my member of Congress, how could I do that? If I wanted to give to it, how could I do that? If I wanted to get my friends involved, how could I do that? And so that's a perfect example, I think, of how the workplace is changing. That, and what's interesting is companies are like in a war for talent. They're they're all focused on how do we get and keep great young people, and all the all the research is pretty clear. Young people want to work for socially responsible companies, um, but give me the opportunity. Don't tell me what to do. That's what's shifting inside the workplace. It's going to stay. It's going to stay in a, a critical part of our of our fundraising model, but it's really an engagement model now, and money will follow the engagement. Where with my generation before, people gave money because eh, I really don't know what's happening. Well, that's not the problem today. Tons of information is accessible to everybody. So the question is, how do you get me involved where I can see it, touch it, get involved in it, get other people involved in it? Then money will follow that. What are some of the current challenges that organizations like yours face today? So if you look, if you look uh, in the U.S. only, um, you know, I, what's interesting, I was, you know, I, we have two, we have two young adult daughters and, and, uh, we won't get into politics, but I was talking to our 24 year old last night who was upset about a, a recent political event. And, uh, I said, you know what, Maggie, this, we're in, we're in a clash of cultures right now. Um, the boomers are leaving, the millennials are coming. We're very different. Uh, it changes, uh, the workplace, it changes politics, uh, and priorities are, are kind of mashing up against each other. So the big challenge right now is how do we create a common good agenda? And so you do that community by community, but you know, for us at United Way Worldwide, we're also very focused on how do we maintain charitable giving incentives and at the same time, oppose uh, the drastic spending cuts that uh, that the Trump administration and Congress are proposing right now. You, you know, you can't cut food stamps as dramatically as being proposed. The, you know, the Emergency Food and Shelter Board and, and so forth and expect that you're going to make that up in a supply side economic approach. It just doesn't work. Um, and so it's a it's a big culture, cultural, political and economic challenge right now because we're in big transformation. And so um, so how do you keep communities together and honestly, the country together when there's so many forces pulling us apart? And I think it's, a you know, at least for us, 
it's a we're non-political, we're non-partisan, but we care a lot about policy and we care a lot about, um, you know, fighting for the health, education and financial financial stability of every person in every community. This is not a this is not a pick or choose type deal. Uh, we had, you know, we will be as successful as the least among us are successful. And that doesn't mean that we're trying to, we're focused on creating a welfare state, but it means that you have to care about, um, ha everyone having access to healthcare, that everybody being able to live, um, if they have a full-time job, um, that safety net services are there. And at the same time, invest in job training and employment and market centered approaches. So fair tax reform makes sense to us. Um, tax reform that uh, is imbalanced and, and doesn't address the inequality uh, in the country is a problem for us. So, uh, you know, those are, those are the challenges. We're, we're in a, we, uh, we'll look back 20 years from today and say, man, that was a intense, disruptive time. But when you're in the middle of it, you got to be clear eyed about what matters to you. And you've spent time with the president. Yep. Uh, what are your impressions on what he sees for the social impact sector? You know, I don't, I don't know, I don't know that he has a, a vision for the for social impact. Um, I think, and honestly, I'm not sure that um, some of the people around him do either. Uh, Having said that, I do think that, you know, the, the, the event that gave me the opportunity to meet with the president was an event on combating human trafficking. And it was Ivanka Trump who was very focused on it. Uh, it, was, uh, it was her relationship with folks outside the White House that made her aware of how, uh, how big an issue human trafficking is in the U.S. Um, so um, we're, you know, the thing is, I've been in this job, as you said, long enough to work with now three administrations. And I think we get way too focused on who the president is. Um, you know, the president can, at least domestically, the president can, can do great things or cause great harm internationally. Um, domestically, there's a lot of there's a lot of pieces on the chessboard, and so so we focus on members of Congress, on members of the administration, on on private sector players to get to move an agenda. And honestly, if the if the White House can be helpful on it, great. And if they can't, let's not worry about it. Um, is the way we think about it. Are there any particular projects that you are excited about? There is. Um, you know, one of the one of the ironic challenges in the world today is uh, we have a lot of open jobs and we have a lot of people looking for jobs. And there's a huge gap between the skills required uh, and the skills that folks have, young people have. And, um, you know, if you think about it, you hear things like advanced manufacturing. That means can you work with robots? that are that are building things and that means can you actually are you computer literate um and if you're not you're not gonna get a job in in a company in warsaw indiana that's making hip implants because your parents are aging and they need an implant um and yet those jobs exist 
And so uh, we're working with McKinsey and company right now on something called Generation, which is to deal with the youth unemployment uh, issue around the world. There are 73 young people around the world unemployed, another group underemployed, and yet there are in many places great jobs. And so we're doing this city by city because honestly, that's the way we think it's going to work. Um, and again, taking a collective impact model, working with companies, local government, and young people, and trying to match uh, middle skilled jobs. So uh, think of you're not going to four year college for a liberal arts degree, but you're going to go get technical training. And in order to fill the jobs that exist, and um, the the places where McKinsey's um, had this in place now for a few years, almost 90% of all the people in that program are finding a job. So what, what's interesting? So we're really excited about it, and it's and we're gonna we're launching it around the world right now. And one of the things that's interesting, if you come back to the U.S., is there's an increasing focus on apprenticeships. So if you know in Europe, um, young people going through an apprenticeship is pretty norm. You know, I visited uh, for a couple of days apprenticeship programs in Switzerland recently. And, you know, in the U.S., we think about it as like manufacturing. Well, you know, we we visited uh, uh, credits or Swiss credit, the big Swiss bank. They had 700 apprentices in their headquarters. So if you're going into banking, if you're going into retailing, if you're going to in manufacturing, you sign up to be an apprentice, an internship. And uh, and it works here in the U.S., but we need more of it. And so we're going to get more and more focused on job-centered education and training. And maybe it makes sense for you to go to a four-year college. Maybe it makes sense for you to get into an into a apprenticeship and vocational track, which is beyond manufacturing, to get a, to get a great job. So the last thing I'll say about that is, um, you know, the, who's working on the cloud you know, the cloud are, includes a bunch of big data centers around the U.S. in places like Lenore, North Carolina. Someone's got to train folks to go work in that data center. And it may be two-year degrees, but it's a great job. And, uh, and the Googles and the sales forces of the world need those, need those folks in those jobs. We're just disconnected. So I'm most excited about getting focused back on you know, how you get people in great jobs. I, you know, I grew up a product of, of public welfare and, and, and nonprofit services. It's a bad day when you're in front of a social worker. And what people need are jobs. And our focus is going to be how you bring different sectors together to try to close that gap and get people in and families in a situation where they can take care of themselves. We, it's, but when they can't, we better be there for them. Are there any calls to action for our listeners today? I would, you know, what I guess what I would most suggest is reach out to your local United Way. And you can find it on unitedway.org um, on our website. But you can, you can, one of the things you can do is search your local United Way. We have, uh, we have millennial engagement strategies, but also we have just opportunities to be involved in public policy, to be involved in fundraising efforts, to be involved in, you know, some of the, the job-centered employment stuff I've been talking about. Um, reach out to your local United Way and get involved. And, uh, but start at unitedway.org and, uh, you know, talk to us. Uh, let us know if you've got interest in being involved and we'll make sure it happens. 
Brian, thank you so much for joining us. Thank uh, it's you. such an honor and privilege to have you here. Thank you again. It's my pleasure. Thanks. That's our show for this week. Thanks again for tuning in to the Ivy Podcast by Ivy, the social university. We are the grad school for life, and our mission is to spark world-changing collaborations by introducing you to the most inspiring people, ideas, and experiences in the world. Check us out at ivy.com for life-changing advice and gatherings, and the foremost thought leaders shaping our world today. For more information about the Ivy community, and to find out about events happening near you, visit ivy.com and email us via membership at ivy.com. Dream big and stay inspired.